when I go and have these conversations, you, you have a record, you have a track record. Sometimes you're being approached for this. Sometimes you're approaching them. It's how you leave that discussion, how you either leave that door open or close that door behind you that is going to enable you to revisit that or not revisit that at a later date. The technology, you're going to speak to a lot of your peers throughout the career. A lot of you are going to find each other is maybe not five years from now, but 10 years from now back in the same company. I make sure to leave some of my doors open specifically for that reason. It's tea time, ladies and gentlemen. This week, we crossed the pond and talked to Philippe Gaddis, account executive at SciSense. Philippe shares with us the pros and cons for working at small and large tech companies, why he moved abroad, and how to keep doors open in the small tech world. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Philippe Gaddis in the house. Mark, how are you? Chris, how are you? Philippe, uh, coming at us live and direct from across the pond in London. We appreciate you uh, escaping tea time to join us today. Yes, Chris. Yes, thank you. Great seeing you as always. And yes, yeah, speaking to you now from, from London, even though the, the accent isn't reflecting that as of yet. Uh, but the always French pleasure. sensation. <laughs> half, half French sensation, Chris. That's right. We'll talk about that. The only, the, only half French of this man. Don't paint him with such a broad brush, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you have to use that strategically at times. That's right. I'm sure you do, actually. I'm sure you do. So, Philippe, thanks for joining us, man. It's been a little while since you walked out the doors of Memory Blue. That's a little over 12 years now, I think. Uh, first job out of college. I've uh, gone quite some way. Yes, looking yes. forward to talking a little bit more about that today. Yeah, well, well let's just hop right into it. You're, you're our first guest uh, overseas. Awesome. We don't have a lot of alums that have made it overseas, but a lot of, a lot of people want to talk about it, but you've done it quite successfully, so we're going to get into that, but you're the first guy in a whole international would need a passport to get to do a podcast, so I'm excited about it. It's kind of cool. I am too. Um, again, it's always been something I knew I wanted to do throughout the career. It was always just a question of timing. Again, it's... Same game, different country with just a, a few minor differences, I guess, to it. But I uh, love the international aspect. I'll go obviously into my background, too. Tell us a little about where you grew up. What, what, what were you like as a kid? So actually born and raised um, in uh, Virginia. Uh, grew up right outside of D.C. Actually went to a French school, Lycée Rochambeau, still there, in uh, <laughs> Maryland. Um, so pretty much actually spent just about 25 years of my life in dc um educated there went to uva let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about that real quick so you say you're only half french passport wise i'm french american uh given i was born in the states but my father is actually lebanese um okay. came to the states relocated and pretty much uh started his tech career there as well too and you lived in Reston, Virginia, but you went to the, tell us about the French school. I'm always fascinated by that. Bethesda, Maryland. Um, so it's exactly as it says, it's a French school. Um, it's based on the French education system. You're there every day from 8.30 to 5.30 and pretty much did that for about eight years. I did start in uh, the Herndon Elementary system. 
Okay. I did learn English there because French was my first language. And in fifth grade, it's pretty much when I made the hop. And when you were, what were you like as a kid? You like a, when you were in high school, you were a sports kid, were you academics, now you were rocking the French jersey probably. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't rocking the French at the time, especially compared to some of the real French at the time. It was a different, I guess, uh, I'm aging myself a little bit, but um, we've, we've, we've changed. Um, I was, I did like sports. I played uh, quite a bit of basketball as well as soccer. Um, sales gave me the golf itch, I guess, as well, too. Um, but no, I was a very active kid, swimming a lot during the summers, even did quite a bit of lifeguarding. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but was there any point growing up when sales was maybe something maybe you thought of or kind of was a glean in your eye or anything like that? It's always somewhat been in me if I think back to different experiences and even stuff I did throughout, let's say, middle school and high school trading candies with peers and always trying to make deals on trying to get some of their food at lunch to listen <laughs> to my father, uh, who had a relatively successful career as well, too, in high-tech sales. Okay. And pretty much just seeing his success, hearing his stories, always been around that type of environment. What, what were you trying to shake and bake the other poor French kids for at lunch? <laughs> oh, man, they had the best pain chocolates and croissants and stuff like that. And I was having more of the Costco American style uh, candy that their families absolutely refused to give them. So I, I started to work pretty much the salesmanship at the time to try and get some of those uh, French patisseries. Love it. That's like the the, uh, the, the, the Louisiana Purchase as far as flavor is concerned. <laughs> Jefferson took the French for $10 million. You're taking their candy for a couple of ho-hos and Twinkies. Value. To perceive value, right, Mark? Love it. Love it. Okay, I would love to have seen Philippe on the cafeteria floor just wheeling. Wheeling. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I was a little bit heavier back then, too. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, you got to fill it at six with two frame. You got to <laughs> <laughs> all right okay all right so you obviously did great academically because you went to university of virginia you know the, the the finest arguably the finest school in the state of virginia tell us about that it was a big change it wasn't easy um i did rather well there but i guess the challenge was coming from a french system and going into an american system was already something so yes i grew up in the states but literally i was in a french school all day with people that had English as a second language. It's a different culture. Um, so it was me figuring out how to navigate, make new friends. That took a little bit of adjustment in a period of time, but fit in rather quickly. And then I uh, had to readjust to thinking about what I wanted to do with life, where I wanted to go with the career. And again, you're forced into that system to make some very quick decisions on things that you're maybe not completely sold that that's the right move for you in the long run. So I started with bio and switch to econ and from that again doing something not completely different but relatively different with where i am today yeah econ french if i remember exactly dual major again french was there specifically for i always had that in the back of the mind my plan is i'm in the states now i am going to end up leaving the states go back to france every single summer or at least once a year we would pretty much end up going there as a family uh, half my family that's still there and a lot of friends from childhood that live there now as well, too. So yeah, it was always a goal. It was, again, as I said earlier, just the timing around that was the more delicate part to play in the journey. So when you were when the econ major and studying French, what did you think you were going to do when you got out of school? Do you have an idea? Can you, well, your dad's in sales, right? Joe Gass is in sales doing his thing. So was that part of the plan or how did that all go down? 
it, you know, it wasn't a part of the plan at first. No, Salesforce was not part of the plan. This pretty much happened actually because of uh, Memory Blue. Um, you guys, I think, also reached out to us. So do need to give credits to, I think it was Lisa at the time. Uh, Lisa Kelly. Yes. Again, I was very interested in pretty much what you guys had described to me. Um, I was in a place where I also was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew tech sales was out there, but I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know how to break into that industry. I didn't know how to accelerate a career. And a lot of companies, it's tough to get that first shot from them, especially when you haven't done anything necessarily maybe with an IT background or something that you could marry into that type of story. So Philippe, when you heard, just when you heard the name Memory Blue, it was irresistible to your French heritage. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, I did look it up. I saw the elephant. Um, you guys obviously tried to help me understand a little bit more about that. But again, it, it, it was it was different. It was different from some of the other things that I was looking at in the space. And again, I think sort of how you guys helped me understand the opportunity that's ahead and me being able also to validate sort of, is this a path maybe I want to experiment on, try and go down? Will it open up possible other opportunities? There were a lot of those different buckets or check boxes that I still felt they would be able to fill regardless of what happened. I remember that when you came to us, you were younger than most recent college grads. I don't want to say it, Chris. I was waiting for you to do more time. Yes, I was 21. I had just turned 21 one week before actually getting my diploma from UVA. So relatively young still at the time. This was my first real job. I felt that there were a few older people also that you also already had engaged. They were fluent when I was walking in. I could hear them on the phone. It was a little bit overwhelming all to just take in at that first time, but it also showed me that, again, it's a different type of culture. There's people that seemed interesting in the office. I'll go into obviously some of those experiences with you guys a bit later, but what you guys sold me on is really sort of how you work on helping us get the foundation that we need. And that's what was different than a lot of other offers or employers that I was possibly looking at offers against is how are they going to invest in me? How are they going to make me successful? How can they help me then accelerate me getting to that next step that I want? And again, I thought that you guys really from the way that you work with some of the employees, some of the different ways that you train us as well too, and then some of the ways that you coach us and spend time with us every single day. At first, it may seem a bit tough, but in the long run, that's to get that process instilled in us and make it almost not robotic, but something that's easy for us every single day to just go into and not have to necessarily stress or think about what is it that I need to do today, rather focus on the things that I know are going to drive the needle in the right direction. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. I mean, I remember I was like, man, we got a UVA guy who wants to get into sales. And, and then I remember his, his dad and I worked at CA um, briefly out of school. I was like, oh, his dad works at CA. This is good. And then this guy is like really well-dressed. Like, why is this guy so well-dressed? And he was crushing it at Joseph A. Banks, making a little bit of money in, in the summer. I was like, dude, this guy, we got to get him in the door. But, but honestly, I was, Chris and I always remember that you were one of the younger ones. And why were you so young? Did you graduate quickly? Yeah, I skipped a couple of grades. So I skipped one grade very young, and I also skipped technically sixth grade when I went from the American system to the French system. Yeah. Yeah, so, so. not only the well, most well-dressed person in the office, the, the, the youngest, right? And <laughs> and this always stood out for, for with me, Philippe, during your time at Memory Blue. You were always had, like, one of the higher degrees of self-awareness. I mean, you were really mature 
in terms of, you know, working at memory blue early monthly quotas, quotas getting changed because you know, maybe they were misaligned or, you know, clients being upset or sometimes have unreasonable expectations or being naive. You are all, you always took it in stride always like, man, this guy is just great. such a great person to have on the team. It was amazing. There are particular days when everyone would probably upset at me about quotas. I definitely remember this. You're like, Gagne, Gagne, don't worry about it. They're going to, everybody's going to be okay. Like I'm going to hit my number. And I was like, man, I love this guy. <laughs> so, you, know, you know, what's funny is that still stuck with me. So I, I still feel I'm in the exact same way as that. It's, you can't always have that negative outlook that eats away at you at the end of the day. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, I see that as a challenge. Um, Obviously, I'm a little bit different today. If there's unrealistic challenges put in front of me, I'll try and approach it differently. But again, it's we're trying to grow a business. You guys are helping us put a plan in place. We re- react when we're a little bit younger just to seeing maybe just a number increase rather than let's sit down and actually let's put something in place to help us get to that plan. And that's pretty much what we did month over month. And it took shape maybe in different types of contests. Maybe you didn't spell it out for us. Uh, but you encourage us ultimately to drive um, that plan and to get to those outcomes and you rewarded as well for it as well too. Yeah. Not everyone did it. I agree. But yeah. again, that benefited the people on the team that, that did. I remember certain <laughs> months that you were the only people hitting on, uh, that shared pool. That, that actually was, uh, not bad, especially for a 21, 22 year old. I was like, shit, sales could be actually quite rewarding. <laughs> right. Figure it out. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a path I could continue down. So, you guys gave me the bug, the itch, I guess, is the best way to put it. And, and what was the, what do you remember? What do you remember from the, when you started? Clients, campaigns, SDRs? Well, which office do you want me to, to refer to here? Go, I, want, I want it all. That old school office where I remember we would walk upstairs. Who was it? The first person that we saw, was it Gottschalk, Ruben, Peter <laughs> in the back? Gottschalk, oh, man. Ruben. We had Hoffman, Hoffman trying to strong arm deals from that back office room. <laughs> yeah, that was a hell of an office, man. It, it was uh, great time. <laughs> There's some good stories in there. No, but it, again, it, I, I think that from there, again, we started growing the team. You started growing the team quite a bit uh, aggressively in Tyson's corner. Yeah. So you're talking about Door Avenue. So the first avenue you were part of was 2724 Door Avenue. I didn't even remember it. Exactly. Yep. yep. Right, right down by in Merrifield, cross street from exactly. Home Depot. So, so for our listeners, uh, Mark and I, you know, we've been in the business for over 18 years. And whenever we talk about the biggest or most challenging deals that we've closed, it's always been getting people to come work at the company. And, and, and Philippe is a great example of that because here you go, you get a freshly minted university of Virginia graduate, 21 years old, super bright, fluent in two languages, well-dressed, and he comes to our office, and our office is in an industrial park right across the street from a waste management facility. How we were able to convince him to launch his career there is amazing, is amazing. So thank you, Philippe. We appreciate you uh, taking a flyer on us. Uh, you guys took a flyer on me technically too. So again, it's, it's uh reciprocity there. All right. So I'm going to steal one of Corcoran's question. So if you could go back and tell the, your 21 year old self the night before your first day at memory blue, what advice would you have for yourself? If you could go back in time. So it would probably be stop stressing out so much. You're going to do just fine. Um, don't worry about the unknown. If you've surrounded yourself with the right people and did your due diligence through your process, it's going to work out. Um, 
again, I wanted to make sure I succeeded. I don't like starting over and having to waste time. I wanted to pick the right place, place the right bed and start the foundation. Did you ask your dad about the opportunity or because typically there's there's two types of college graduates or people who are considering joining Memory Blue. They either ask their parents and, and their trusted advisors and take get a lot of input from everybody or there's other people who, let's say, do it in stealth mode and hope their parents don't find out what they're up to. So, no. what, what, what approach no, did you that. take? Yeah, tell, tell us that, a little bit about that. That was part of due diligence. So, due diligence was obviously <laughs> meeting you. Um, he's, a UV, he's a UVA grad. Of course, he did his due, due diligence. Um, and, yes, it was quite a few conversations with the father, who's, again, been in the industry for quite some time. Um, walk, he walked me through pretty much the journey that I would be going on, which matched a lot of what pretty much the promise was of memory blue. And he actually thought it was also a relatively unique twist. He hadn't heard many other companies that had that model where they'll invest in people, they work with companies in the area, and then they also encourage those companies to also uh, pretty much take that employee if they like the work that they're doing and bring them in directly to their business. Um, he knew that's the hardest first step. And companies that he worked at, some of the larger enterprises, it was pretty much a rotating door. They don't invest in ADRs, BDRs, people that are starting with that career, they're just hoping that some of them come in and that the better ones are going to make it to the top and they'll try and invest in them. Uh, you guys took a different spin to that. And that's pretty much, I think, what also had him uh, believing that this could be a good fit for me. If I was serious about tech, he was a believer in investing early on in coaching, helping us see sort of how you can grow pretty much out of your role into some of those next roles. And what are the ways that you can obviously uh, scale up Make yourself more effective at either finding pain, doing discovery, and then taking it a little bit further than what some of your peers ultimately are doing. And that, that's pretty much the due diligence process. It's not as robust as what I would do today, but at the time it was, again, I didn't want to go into this blind. I wanted to make sure I was making the right decision for myself and even playing your story to outside individuals that haven't seen or heard of memory blue still made sense so what was it like do you remember what camp you walked in you got half strong arming people walked in whatever i can't remember which accounts they were it wasn't delta okay. at first i was with uh it wasn't parker i was with lawson i was with okay lee so lee lawson's manager adam lee parker yep. um and lee was starting to help me pretty much understand what are some of the things that we're going to be doing every single day so what does a day at memory blue look like what are going to be some of the things I'm going to be working on? Um, actually, Mark, when I first arrived, it was, I think, even before working with Lee, working with you. Yeah. Um, or I was split 50-50, wasn't I? Um, yeah. Was also looking for prospects, high-tech companies in the area that also would want to use Memory Blue services. Yep. Um, so, again, it was a little bit of both. And I've liked all aspects of that because it gives me the opportunity, obviously, to do a little bit more of what I'm doing now, which is helping businesses grow, as well as with Lee working specifically for direct customers and taking more of that individual type of contributor role, which is also half of the career I've done as well too. And I've enjoyed quite a bit. Awesome. So you, you, you executed your time with us. You were with us when you started, I think in, in 2007 is when you kicked, yeah. when you kicked it. So we were only five years in and then you, you ended up doing a great job and going to work for, well, we got do walk me through your recollection on kind of, the career path when we got to the point where you were uh, looking to bounce, you know, in a good way, right? Cause that's the model. Yep. No. So, um, we had hit about a year, a year and a few months. Um, 
We had a few close friends, Fifer being one of them, that had just left also to, I, th- I can't remember if he was working with Parallels at the time for Memory Blue or not. Um, but again, it was a company I was very interested in as well too. And this is also, again, it's that culture, it's the people that you meet at Memory Blue. We stayed connected. Um, so he got me an interview job there. I actually turned down something um, from my customer who was expert choice. Expert choice. Yeah. So you were working on expert choice and Schieffer had bounced and he, I believe he, he went to parallels. He did. He did. And he was there for a few months. Mm -hmm. I went there for a week and the Friday of that week pretty much had an RVP come in and hold on, hold on, hold real quick. So you were going to tell that story, but so you, you were looking, your client wanted to hire you too, right? Yep. Yeah, so you were you were two options. You had two options. So after just crushing it for us, you had two options, and you weighed them, and you and you went with parallels. I did. Yep. Okay. Got it. And then, so you're super excited and leaving Memory Bloom, going to work for a great virtualization software company. And then t- t- tell us about it. That's exactly it. And pretty much was there on my fifth day, just finishing up the HR documents, and the entire sales team was pretty much let go on that Friday. They relocated everyone else outside of sales back to their HQ in Seattle and shut down their office except for one very small team. Wow. So I was sitting wow. there at my desk looking at James like, what the fuck just happened, James? <laughs> no, to another offer, what am I supposed to do? I, I mean, they did, they did give us sort of a severance check, but I didn't really care about it. It was nice. Yes, I cared, but yeah. I was like, I don't have a job. I just said no to actually a really good opportunity as well. This is the first time I'm in this situation. I'm still new in my career. What do I do? I asked my dad. <laughs> he immediately started cracking up because he's seen these types of things. And the first thing he did was call Mark, call Chris, which is the second thing that I obviously went and did and explain to you guys the situation. Again, this is uh, where you guys saved me again in this instance. I think you called uh, Steve DeBrow from Expert Choice at the time. That's right. Was in an op- in, in coming to your office for a meeting um, and almost had me coordinate arriving at the same time to your office to go and try and renegotiate me <laughs> falling out yeah, of the Yeah, we got you back in. Me back in. We got so, you back in. Yeah, expert you choice. got me back into Expert Choice even after that whole little uh, hurdle with James. And yeah, it all worked out. They took me as uh, a hybrid rep as well as BDR. They wanted me to continue driving and doing the good work I was doing on their account while I was working at Memory Blue. They were trying to obviously expand that team and they were growing so that they knew I wanted to be a rep and they offered me also that career growth path and the ability to continue coaching and training me behind the scenes. If I remember, Parallels was a large software company, large yeah. enterprise, established and then Expert Choice was more of an emerging small startup. Is that? That's it. Gotcha. So you had a, a, a taste of the big, big software company and then moved right into kind of a startup company. It was pretty much that, yes. It's probably something that most people will try and figure out earlier on in their career. It's what is the right profile company for you? I know what I like today. There are certain profile organizations that I'll look for and things within, obviously, that company that are even more important that lend themselves more to the value I can bring to them. Tell our listeners like what, what you prefer or what are the pros and cons of like the small companies versus the large, more established ones. So pros and cons of the small ones for me. Pay is going to be a big pro and con. Um, you're going to get good pay in a small company. It's high risk, though. You know it's high risk going into it. There's either a risk that you're possibly going to have to defend the product much harder because there's no awareness in the market or risk even that the company itself may not progress and your career may not accelerate as quick as it could in a larger company. 
a larger company, the downside is you're in a great structure. It has all the support. You have all the cross-reference support that you need from different teams. You have a brand. You have a certain lifestyle associated to it. But there's an ecosystem, and it's a large ecosystem. And you're a small fish that has to navigate very quickly to try and, again, keep that name for yourself. So, again, it's a different model. It's a different process in each. Where I see myself today is something in between the largest. I don't want to say I'm on the smaller end. No, I like a certain size organization. But it's companies that are like are looking to really establish themselves in Europe. It's being able to help them accelerate that growth in Europe helping drive different types of strategies through obviously languages, experience, and how I've been brought up in this tech space in the States with companies that are U.S.-based companies that are trying to grow their presence here. Excellent. I think there's a couple lessons to be learned for people to keep in mind. You know, one is you did such a good job with Expert Choice that they decided they wanted to, to bring you on board. And you gracefully bowed out in such a good way that after you scorn them, you know, told them no, depending upon, you know, the, who you ask was a scorning or a no, you were able to go back to them and they still wanted you to come in the mix. So, you know, it's not how things start, it's how things end. And, you know, you ended up really well with them so much so that you were able to fire it back up and get a better job out of it than what you had when you were departing simply because you just handled yourself with grace and with professionalism, which is kind of how you always roll. So, you know, that was great. That was great to see. And uh, it's, it is so funny when we were talking before we recorded about that i had forgotten about getting you back in there but you know that, that was a great thing because you you you, earned, you you were there for a little while right before you went to lodgy i was i was there for just under two years and then started the whole fun lodgy experience that lasted just under six years had a few different roles prom- promoted a few different times over there well, what would you say was your biggest uh, your, your finest hour which you learned the most but when you worked at memory blue it depends what type of knowledge, I guess. I'm going to yeah. go with the salesman answer that I am. And I remember there was one month where I really crushed my number. I was the only person that hit a very large pool and took home a huge paycheck. And the lesson I learned from that is if you put in the hard work, if you put the plan down, and if you're mature about it, there's a lot of opportunity that this career path can give you. Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com academy. So, Philippe, I remember something different. Tell me. <laughs> I remember we, we had just moved from next to the dump over into Tyson's Corner. And I was, I was responsible for office supplies. And I wanted to make sure that we never ran out of anything because I think it transmits the wrong signal that we're unprofessional, unprepared, et cetera. So I set up a little counter 
next to the coffee machine. <laughs> so whenever anyone took one of those K-cups, they would just have to put a little mark on it so I could manage the inventory properly. I remember one night I walk in there and next to your name, there was like 25 marks for the day. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was like, it wasn't you make, making those marks, was it? I am a very, very big <laughs> coffee drinker. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I hope I didn't have 25 in one day. Uh, thank, thankfully, I'm still here if I did. Uh, but no, I... Uh, I think it was your boys, uh, James Schieffer and Grant Way. G-Way. <laughs> that sounds like one of the classic office moves that they had. Um, quite a few of uh, fun times I remembered with them from pranking them. They made work a little bit funner. Um, sure. We need that. And again, I thought that you guys picked a really good team. It's a, it's, that's what's nice. It's a lot of people that you profile that have quite a few similarities. So it's easy for us to mesh together. Um, Schieffer came with me to another job. Zach, you guys remember Zach? Oh, Zach yeah. also came with us also to lodge you as well too. Yes, Zach. Yeah, no, speak to quite a few people. Matt almost tried to come out there as well. I randomly bumped into him. Uh, it's funny. It's Matt, you talking Genoa, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you went to expert choice after learning a lot, making some money, having some fun in the office, get, turning on a client, getting hired by a client after making a nice check for only a week worth of work because you got the severance even though you're only there for five days, which is amazing. And then you, so you got back in the chair at expert choice. From what you remember, I know it was a little while ago, right? What was the transition like from being an SDR um, at Memory Blue to, okay, I got, I'm in a software company. I'm in a hybrid role, which they weren't going to give me before. The other part of the hybrid role was what? The closing part? Yep. So I was able to drive certain organizations that were less than X employees. And then I would drive those with my VP if they were large, more strategic accounts. So he wanted me to work some of the smaller, more tactical projects and get me more fluent into understanding some of the different steps in that cycle before obviously going after a large organization, a large contract at XYZ company. Um, so it was a bit different. Um, it's exposing obviously you to now a completely different part of the cycle that you heard about, but that you ultimately didn't have to drive. So it's a whole different set of skills that ultimately had to be taught to myself. It, I don't want to say it's hit the saying reset. You have to go learn everything over. You don't, you take everything you learned as a BDR. How can you qualify and now take this a step further? So how can you peel the onion back a little bit further? and start maybe matching business pain to technical pain and being able to drive in a process against that if you think it's a good fit for your specific technology. So just for our listeners, just to help, help us understand the size of expert choice in terms of like how many salespeople were there? Because I, I remember it being somewhat small. It was small. There were only four salespeople, uh, three and a half if you count me. There were technically four salespeople there. And so the, the fact that you're on such a small team gives you a lot of exposure with kind of a polished professional uh, so that can really help you learn. And so, okay, so you took that and then you decided to go somewhere else. Absolutely. Um, no, that, that's a good way of looking at it. And they, yeah, they were a little bit older. They were definitely more mature. But again, for me, this is what I look for in a lot of the roles is the ability to align yourself with somebody that is going to be able to coach you, mentor you, and take you to that next step. Product is product. You have to believe in it. But to me, almost that person may be more important at times. Right. So, Philippe, there was four other salespeople. Uh, how, how old were they compared to you at the time? I mean, just I want the listeners to understand oh, what that was like. Uh, they were 40, all 40 plus. 
Um, so I was definitely half their age, just about. Um, there were younger people, but in some of the other departments that pretty much were in a different suite, even within the building. So would rarely see them. It was it, it was a different culture than Memory Blue, a different environment than Memory Blue. It was much more serious as well, just given it was much more mature. So really needed to make sure that I understood that, that I understood the opportunity in front of me and that you align yourself to that. So you really have to mature quickly as well too in those types of environments. That's great. I, I love that. Uh, I remember in my sales career, I was one of the youngest salespeople and people who were twice my age who had the same job as me. And it was just, it's uh, somewhat intimidating, but also kind of inspiring that, listen, regardless of age, we have the same job and it's all dependent upon on who can, who, who can be more successful, who can sell more, right? A meritocracy. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And I, I was, I was always wanted to try to be uh, mentored by people who had, you know, twice my, I mean, way more than twice my experience, but twice my age, and, and could give me a lot of uh, mentoring. Given that this, this, the, the, uh, the company was such was so small, you got a lot. I'm sure you got a lot of face time and a lot of opportunity to kind of uh, learn a lot from your uh, contemporaries. We did, we did. They even took some of your best practices and took things like Sandler. They had Kramer come down there as well, too, and do some of his training. So they took a lot of your best practices and even saw it was working for me when I was at Memory Blue. They should maybe take some of that and internalize it there as well. Who's um, this young French kid? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who's this, no, who's, uh, who's this French two guard? Guy? <laughs> it, was a, it was an interesting group. Yeah, very. Uh, it was almost it felt a bit government focused as a business as well, too. So very very strict, very traditional, very mature people. It's, you don't almost see that today. It's pretty much the exact opposite of what you'll see in a Cali tech company. So mm -hmm. get through that. I definitely remember them being smart. They're, 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 but all so, very sharp. All very sharp individuals of that, that kind. I need to look some of those guys up. I forgot about Steve DeBrow. Wow. Okay. That was at one point you turned your sights onward and, and, and when we were doing that, when along the way were you starting to kind of figure out, okay, Hey, I got to get back to Viva La France. Like, like um, was that before that was that in the next gig or were you more worried about hey, the next gig? So okay. I went to Logi and had a really good run there and was promoted from small. So I, I had just a closing role over there. They were building out a new team, a new segment. It was myself with one other individual who was actually very similar to myself, young, savvy, driven. Um, we both did very, very well. And we actually ended up, pretty much replacing all of the middle market. And then they built out teams underneath us over there. So we helped drive that strategy for that team and helped accelerate growth as a business. It was actually 50 employees when I started the company after about a year, a year and a half was up to 200. Wow. And they were growing teams pretty much right and left because different types of messages were starting to resonate and different processes were accelerating cycles. Um, I was even promoted to then sort of being the team lead and being taken over to a different part of the business because there was no more trajectory or career growth path on that side. It was you jump to enterprise and the enterprise reps were 40 plus. For some reason, they had an age stigma, I felt at times in that company and they wanted a certain, I guess, uh, experience from a year's perspective associated with anyone on that team. Um, so I was tasked by another uh, individual to help redo the entire partner strategy. And what that gave me visibility into is they pretty much fired all the partners. They didn't feel they were doing a good job at the time, how to build a business up from scratch. So it was a lot of going back to the basics of what you taught me. 
how to target, how we're going to cold call, how we're going to discover, how do we want to position the value of the partnership that we could drive together, and then more importantly, start enabling them. So I was already doing that with a lot of my peers on the sales teams, helping them understand how they should be positioning, how they should sell, and they wanted me to replicate that there too. Right, and so when, for our listeners, when you say partners, uh, are these people reselling your software, or are they OEMing it? If, can you explain a little bit about, because a lot of our listeners aren't going to be familiar with the phraseology, if you kind of give us some insight into what that was and how, how that works. So in this case here, actually the technology was geared, and it's like what I'm doing today at SciSense. We sell a platform that's uh, helping organizations augment pretty much visualizations and analytics within their four offerings. So they build a dashboard, let's say using SciSense or Logi, and then they can take that and productize that directly with their solution without having to go in and do all the heavy lifting and coding. Um, so it wasn't that, that's what I sold initially at Logi was a solution that lent itself to that type of use case. What I transitioned towards was helping profile the other buckets. It's organizations that could also have resources and build up a practice to go and commercialize our solution and be self-sufficient at doing it. And more importantly, also be able to come and support us through an implementation perspective. So it was really those two buckets, OEM, we had a lot of different partners that already came to the organization. We wanted to cast a wider net and figure out how can people outside of Logi be skilled up, self-sufficient, and understand how to go and commercialize this for us as well. So explain for our listeners what OEM is. OEM is basically you're building something using someone else's product and really integrating that into your core offering to the point where you can't tell that what you built with Philippe solution is not part of your core offering. Um, so a lot of large organizations, for example, you may see certain things that are productized in their solution. They may not have built that. They could be using another technology piece and you build a contract and a model with them that lets them pretty much go to market with that and either sell that or drive that as a value add to their core offering. I see. Very good. And that was Logi's, that was Logi's one of their calling cards, right? Yeah. When you were there. Yeah. And is the company you're working with now, is it the same sort of type of play? Same sort of type of play and a little bit more. Um, they cover many more umbrellas today. Um, so they cover the whole data science, everything around writing SQL Python scripts today and being able to materialize views back to data warehouses, to data modeling, data mashup, and then to creating those visualizations that take the shape of an app that you can embed into your solution. So it's a one-stop shop. We're the only vendor that actually does that in BI today. Um, one of the reasons I actually came to them. A lot of people actually from Logi, um, I know in the New York office right now, it's a lot of old peers, surprisingly enough, that I hadn't spoken to since I moved to Europe. Uh, at previous SKO, we ended up actually reconnecting. It was quite an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, I think, that, again, it's another, uh... Just pointing out again, like the, the world of high tech sales, not a particularly large one. And no. the folks that you meet along the way, be it folks you go work for after you work for them and the, the company you leave is one or the, the it's just you're going to see the same people. So you want to make sure your calling card is, you know, your, your brand is your reputation, your professional reputation. So I'm sure they're not anymore. Sure, they're thrilled to see you. Um, so you you put in almost five 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 maybe five and a half years. I can't remember exactly at, at Logi. You know that's a long time, particularly in today today's day and age. What, what, what was something? Then I think that's a, that's a, that's a great sign for you. But what was it about working there and and you that you were able to work there so long? And then it was I was still growing. I was still learning. So that's where I 
that's where pretty much the jump happened. It's you got so you get so much from a company, you get the career path, you, you may hit a wall. And to me, there's a certain time where you need to be able to be self-aware and conscious that, yeah, I can stay here and be comfortable. Or can I bring more value someplace else and now take my career to that next phase? Um, so for me, it was that. Plus, I also met uh, my better half, um, my girlfriend now five plus years that lived in Paris, Sarah. Shout out to Sarah. She's uh, Polish Moroccan, but lived in Paris her whole life. So she wanted them to actually to move to the States. That was the initial plan. And the more we thought about it, the more it tied into, well, it's hard for you to move to the States. You're not going to be able to find a job as easily. I'm half American, half French when we look at my passports. It's just not the time. Um, so yeah, thought about it for a few months. Ended up packing my, not pack, packing a small suitcase, heading out to France for a small vacation. And while I was out there, I started interviewing. And I didn't think it was going to move quickly, but within one week, I had already three on-site interviews. And wow. One organization that was so aggressively trying to make an offer for me that, yeah, in my head, I was like, it's going to be the same thing. It's the same culture. It's tech. It's just a different country. And took the risk. Said, this, this should be it. Let's find a place moved um pretty much i've been here ever since that was a little over five years ago yeah when you moved to paris what what company did you join um so the company was called galageo and they had a very unique place in that they worked primarily with sap and salesforce okay um, i managed the entire relationship with sap and also managed uh they saw the whole value of what i had just done at logi with building a partner ecosystem they needed that for their international presence they were doing great in france but it was internationally, they were trying to scale through partnerships, people that could help them in regions that they didn't have a reach into. So Philippe, you, you're, you're working for a French company in Paris, uh, doing a lot of work with a German company, SAP. So when you were trying to build out internationally, are you speaking in French? Are you speaking in English? There was French, English, Spanish were the main three. Um, I did use the Lebanese side, obviously, when I was speaking to people in uh, more of the Middle East region, but that was uh, very quickly limited just to a few words to introduce myself and to close calls. Um, but no, it was very, it was very international, which is what I liked about it. A lot of traveling, which is also half the reason why I wanted to move to Europe is I, I love traveling. Um, for me, it's easy to see parts of the world that I didn't get access to, obviously, when living in the U.S. for 25 years. I fit in well. So the international school I was at was also people from all over the world. It's sort of the environment, the types of cultures I grew up in as well. There's differences, obviously, in international sales versus uh, domestic U.S. domestic sales. Other than the language, isn't it done completely differently outside the U.S.? No, I would disagree with that. So oh, interesting. It's what you learn in the States is actually what a lot of companies are looking for here as well, too. I feel that they train reps a little bit differently here. And almost a lot of companies want sort of some of the traits that I feel an American presents as a sales, as a pretty much salesman. Um, some of the things is sort of we're a little bit more aggressive. Um, some of the ways that we're enabled and some of the ways that we drive a certain process are relatively different than here. They may say I'm pushy. I'm not pushy. I want to agree to some type of process and plan and ensure that everyone's aligned before we invest resources in it. And the way I ask it is going to be uh, much more transparent and structured than I feel some of the things I've seen in certain regions here. The only challenge that you're going to have, I joke with Mark about this at times, is 
there's just minor nuances between some of the cultures themselves. It's how do you work with the people within that environment? Driving a sales process is driving a sales process. I'm a firm believer in that. Wow. Okay. That's good. So, so you're in Paris, living in France, doing your thing, making, keeping SAP in line, you know, obviously growing your career. And, you, you know, you, I think you, you, at one point, you ended up back in London. I did. So France wasn't exactly, it was a bit different than what I wanted. Um, it's tough for someone in my career or a little bit tougher for somebody that I felt was in my career just because they like to be on vacation. Uh, all jokes aside, uh, you use a lot of people that half the year may either not be there or maybe on a coffee break or something else. And in my head, London had a lot of the things that reminded me of back home, D.C., as well as reminded me of Europe as well, too. It's the center of a lot of the business of what's being done is London. And that also ties to a lot of the different tech companies as well. So I was trying to figure out, my dad was actually also surprisingly working in London at the time. And I started looking at different companies that were either emerging technologies or hot technologies at the time and ended up speaking to a company called Mulesoft that was pretty much leading the space in terms of integration options and platforms as a service. Uh, Everything from integration and APIs, they pretty much give you that one-stop shop to cater to any type of connectivity use case. So got up there, was really excited, was there for six months, and then went through the whole acquisition with Salesforce. Yep. Which yep. wasn't exactly what I signed up for, in all transparency. Yeah. Um, that's that really large company. That's where you get drowned in the mix. You become that overlay versus MuleSoft had something a little bit different about it that fit exactly that mold of what I was looking for. Uh, I don't like giving up. So we stuck with it, kept going through the journey. Um just a lot of processes and those types of companies. And again, not exactly what I was looking for at my career. So um, surprisingly enough, Sisense had just opened up an office in London. I had turned down an offer from them to move to New York right when I moved to France. That was my next step after London. Okay, okay. And um, yeah, connected back with actually a few people that I knew from the industry. They got me in and they had the CEO meeting with me in about a week and a half. So, so Philippe, uh, there's a theme that's developed here, here of you like liking to turn down opportunities and then go back and revisit them later. <laughs> I, you know, I actually never thought of that, Chris, but yes, to your point, um, it, it, it comes back to when I go and have these conversations, you, you have a record, you have a track record. Sometimes you're being approached for this. Sometimes you're approaching them. It's how you leave that discussion, how you either leave that door open or close that door behind you that is going to enable you to revisit that or not revisit that at a later date. The technology, you're going to speak to a lot of your peers throughout the career. Um, a lot of you are going to find each other is maybe not five years from now, but 10 years from now back in the same company. Mm-hmm. It's very funny how it works out. And again, I've seen it. Memory Blue even had a salt to aside. Kristen Brandt. I used to lifeguard with Kristen Brandt at <laughs> our community pool. CB. He now is uh, married right, with another former that. MB person. Yeah. So, Kristen again, Schiffer. it's a small world. Um, I make sure to leave some of my doors open specifically for that reason. But also, I like being transparent into some of these conversations, helping them understand what value I can bring, what I'm looking for. And if there's a match, there's a match. If not, Again, if we leave the conversation in the right term, hopefully we're respectable enough to revisit it and see if there's a fit at a later date. It's, again, it's more of that mature adult conversation. It's not an easy one to have, but we're, we're thick-skinned in, in sales, so you should, you should at some point feel comfortable with having that. 
Philippe, so so we're kind of up to modern day or present day. Looking back on it, what what might be one of your most memorable uh, wins? That's a very good question. You, you know, there's a few wins obviously that will stick out, Gotney, in terms of deal sizes. Yeah. Um, if you want my honest answer, every single win is a memorable win. I remember most every, almost every single win I have, regardless if it's a small 20k deal or something that's getting in that million dollar range. Yeah, but I remember the million dollar range for the commission check I'm getting, but it's the process and the battle scars that you get. What's crazy is sometimes you may even work harder for those small deals than for those larger deals. I remember more some of the use cases. So recent use cases, for example, helping large retailers transform to start embracing digital channels, helping them ultimately productize integration into a certain shape that they can reuse that and accelerate delivering projects 10x, 20x quicker than what they would do with their traditional approach. Um, So a few customers like Ted Baker, like another large catalog retailer that shifted 70% of its sales to online express gifts. Um, A few other ones as well in that space were all supported while I was there. Things I'm doing now at SciSense I love. It's helping organizations look at different ways that they can productize and monetize data. How can they create an analytic app using our offering and then be able to deliver that insight that's much more actionable and that lets users also get different types of responses based on augmented analytics that's also built in. I mean, it's to me, it's it's the use cases that get you excited. Um, I I look for organizations. I don't want to say that the product is too overly complex, but it's an organization where it's not going to be monotonous every single day, where I have the same conversation every single day. It's similar projects, but it's different use cases and different value and different ways that you can or uh, construct some type of agreement that really excite me about some of the more recent rules I've had with sales. And, and, and that's a great answer. I'll take that. Um, and besides uh, the, the French national team's performance in the 2010 World Cup, <laughs> what, what would be your biggest, be your most memorable loss or kind of, you know, know like something that stuck with you? Losses are always painful. I had a painful loss six months ago. I still remember it. It still, still gives me pain. It's a company here that pretty much they deliver insights into the market. So you probably walked into, let's say, you, we don't have Safeway here, but imagine Safeway. You go into Safeway and you see on some of your wines, someone is saying, this one is voted top wine based on XYZ. So they work with a lot of different industries and they sell those insights back to them so they can go and see where to place a certain strategy. Um, what we did with them is I beat out every single leader. We, had, we went, I understood their business, what they were trying to do, the pain that the business had and the bottleneck that the IT process ultimately had in place that was pretty much causing all of that pain. And then match that to pretty much our technology, our process and how we can support them. And more importantly, how they can then build that custom pretty much productized model with it. They bought into it. No other vendor did that. No other vendor invested their time, understood their business model and pitched in this new way of operating. Uh, we beat Microsoft, we beat Tableau. So these are the two biggest leaders in BI, for example. Well, what happened? 90th hour, as we're negotiating, this was end of year last year in December, end of year contract, it's a fun time of the year. There's things that you can't control. They pretty much took our entire model and brought it to a niche player. And the niche player, unfortunately, I was asking for quite a bit of revenue in this project, did it for 4X less. And they obviously understood the risk that was implied. 
but it was tough for me to justify still pretty much 4x is that equal to risk in this equation? Can we not get one or two more resources that will mitigate risk? And it just became a really just bizarre conversation that, again, I thought I had control of the entire process. And at the 90th minute, something can happen. And so, again, if you don't have a signed contract, you don't have a deal. I'll leave it at that because that there was starting to get uh, pretty much forecasted up to leadership uh, as we we're looking pretty good in it. And the most likely it's going to close. And yeah, shit happens at the end of the day. Even if you have a process in place, it's not easy. That's why it's very rewarding as a job. Um, regardless of people who say how easy it is, it's not easy. Um, you have to put time, sweat, effort. You need to have a plan. You need to be regimented and you need to have some logic behind some of the things that you're delivering, both in what you're saying, as well as some of the actions behind it as well. Hey, so Philippe, how, give, for our listeners, how much time, how long was that sales cycle? How much time, it sounds like you invested a lot of time, energy and resources into that. And how much time and like, what was the dollar, just ballpark dollar size of the opportunity? So it would have been a half million dollar opportunity. Um, wow. It was pretty much over six months and it would have lasted a little bit longer. It was supposed to close in Q1 of this year, but we even moved their time frame up with the end of year incentives and how we could build a custom commercial model. We literally had everything playing in our favor. Like we were taking every single box into these are, this is the plan we laid out. These are the things that need to happen. Everything played out exactly as it was. This vendor came in, they weren't even evaluated literally in the 90th minute. There was someone that outbounded some BDR, Someone like one of your guys at Memory Blue <laughs> really talking in this deal somewhere in the world because they managed to get them and put in the door. And wow. that's all it took a sales rep to go in there and ultimately take that deal down completely for themselves in less than a month because we did all the heavy lifting for them. We pitched the vision. We pitched the idea. They just went online, something very similar. And the customer understood it was a bit riskier of an option, but it happens. How do you keep your skills sharp? Two main things now. I mean, early in the career, obviously reading some of the more traditional sales books are things I would recommend to anyone. Um, right now, it's more continual enablement. So in a lot of organizations, they're transforming, obviously, the way they will teach you as reps around the technology and positioning of the company. But from a salesmanship perspective, um, I'd like to find organizations that have some type of program in place. So what I'm doing right now is things like force management. Um, very good process. It really helps you deconstruct conversations and look at different either value drivers, certain types of topics, and how to paint where they are today and some of the negative consequences to where they need to go and some of the positive outcomes that they need to get to while focusing on the required capabilities that are going to lend themselves to get there. And it makes it easy for us to, for example, trap them into thinking about things that they should be doing based on what we've seen at other customers using certain styles of questions and proof points that we have to obviously back up with whatever discussion that we're going into. The other one is more aligning myself with the right people. Um, so this, again, what I look for in organizations is I've made that mistake, I would say maybe once in the career, and it's not easy. Align yourself with the right leadership, someone that wants to invest time in you, someone that believes in you and that you see yourself being able to grow with. Um, I've done it successfully at two roles. This one, I think, will be the second one I'm at right now at Sisense. And again, I can see myself having a long run here for various different reasons, that being a big one. Philippe, who, who would you put on Mount Rushmore? Uh, as cheesy as it sounds, it's probably going to have to be Pops. I'll put, put my dad on it. My mom probably would complain if I put her on Mount Rushmore. She, she wouldn't uh, want to be put up there. But my dad <laughs> helped me get to where I am. Dad, no. Dad helped me get where I am in my career. He's been the role model. Um, he's helped coach me. 
he's helped me make some of the tougher decisions. Um, again, I know he, he's always there to, to support me in the background. I know there's a lot of other people as well I could be thanking, but again, if I've got to pick one, it's going to be him. What's the biggest mistake that you, you think you've seen your former Memory Blue contemporaries make? The biggest mistake I've seen some of them probably do is thinking that this would be easy and not putting enough pretty much sweat and tears into it. Um, again, I've seen this across, I guess, some industries. Some people feel they may be entitled that things are going to be handed to them easily. It's not the case. If you show that you're capable of doing things and if you fight for your position and show your value, those things will naturally come towards you. Um, so, again, don't take this for granted that it's going to be easy. It's a very rewarding industry if you put in the effort in the beginning to ultimately accelerate your career. Awesome. PG in the house, man. That was, this is good. Thanks, Philippe. Yeah, no problem. Memory Blue alumni, is your company actively trying to fill open sales roles with high achieving ballers? The Memory Blue Rising Stars program is a unique outplacement service designed to benefit our alumni and our tenured sales development professionals at the same time. Most of the SDRs that work on our client campaigns are under contract for a specific amount of time. Once the SDR's contract expires, he or she may wish to explore various new career opportunities. We call these well-trained hustlers our rising stars, and this is where you come in. Every single member of our alumni network has full access to hire our rising stars into their current company at zero cost. Whenever we have a new rising star available, we'll drop our full alumni group an email letting you know about the opportunity. This benefit gives alumni and their current employers a huge edge in closing the sales development talent gap. It also gives you the inside track on cashing in any referral fees associated with referring new hires. If you're looking for tomorrow's sales stars today, head over to memoryblue.com slash alumni. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beat.